do you want to raise your kids or do you want to have big tech or the big corporations raise your kids? Because they want to raise them. You know, they, they want to get them on the screen. They want to sell them stuff. They want to tell them what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman for your daughters. They, they, they want to push their message in order to make money, let's be honest. So is that what you want for your kids? Or do you want to be able to be the ones who say, no, no, this is your destiny as a man. Fathers give identity. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan with you for another week. And it's a momentous week here on The Narrative. As uh, guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but we just passed our official two-year anniversary, two years from the first episode of The Narrative Podcast. It's hard to believe that it's now a toddler. It's walking around. It's making messes. It's not (laughs) listening to us. It's true. It's got a mind of its own. It's doing its own thing. It's grown into something completely different than than what we expected it to be. But uh, I would just like to thank all three of our listeners for for your faithfulness. All both of them. I'll readily admit that uh, when when uh, my my dad uh, visited a few months ago, uh, I he, he wanted to hear my my wife's podcast. Uh, you know, she does the Breakpoint podcast with with the Colson Center. Um, and he's like, how do I download this? And so I also downloaded the narrative onto his as well. I was like, Hey, by the way, we got, we got one to there you go. add it on. I just remember, you know, kicking the concept around, uh, we went to, a, a little, um, lunch spot down here. I'm just outside of cap square kicking around the concept. I, I thought it'd be exciting but to look back and, um, you know, everywhere I go, you know, folks are just saying how they've enjoyed it, um, for one reason or another. Um, the the spiritual insights, you know, combined with what's going on with public policy, to be able to hear everybody's heart um, on on different issues, and and you know, get a laugh here and there. Um, it's 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 always a surprise to uh, to hear how encouraging um, it's been to to people out there. Yeah, I'll I'll just say, Mike, when we started this conversation about having a podcast, it'd been something that we thought about doing with CCTV for a while, but. I'd always been resistant to it because um, I just didn't want to spend that much time with David. Um, that, but uh, no, I, I, no, I'd, I'd been resistant to it because I, I was like, I don't, I don't want us to just add to the noise. Um, I don't want this to just be like a, a, a CCV promotional piece or, or something like that. That if we were gonna, if we were gonna do it, we wanted to make something that would be uh, edifying to the body and. Um, would be creating value um, to people, right? And that, that was that was where the whole concept of even the the format came out of it. Of you know, do timely news and then do interviews that were a little bit more what we would call evergreen. Um, that you know, no matter no matter when you get to the podcast, you could go back and and uh, you know find uh, content that would be building up, right? So the, and every now and again, we'd still do things that are really you know timely. I think about. The, the interview we just did with um, Bob Vanderplotz, which is very much an interview about president this presidential election. But there still is good principles in there for for every presidential election. But I think, you know, some of the episodes I'm, I'm, I love the most, I think about the, one of our first ones we did with, it might've been the first one we did with Bob Woodson yeah. um, or uh, the interview we did uh, with um, Les Bernal at Stop Predatory Gambling or some of those ones that we've done that are, are, just kind of eye-opening about specific topics that people don't get a lot of information on, and we can dive in a little deeper here and and hey, say this this is why, especially and and overtly from a Christian worldview, this is why we care about this. Um, I I even think about the the interview we we have for this episode with Senator Hawley, 
um, where it, it, it's a topic, uh, a, a narrative, if you will, that's no matter when you come to it, um, it's going to be a topic that is going to matter. So if you start listening to the podcast, you know, two years after we record this, it's still going to be good and relevant information for you. And if you need any proof of the benefit of the podcast, you both know it was my introduction to CCV and it was yeah. about this time last year. That's what I was about to say. It's been a tremendous joy to be on this podcast. And, you know, my, my heart for CCV really developed because I thought this David Mahan guy has such a great voice. If only Aaron Bear would let him speak more, somebody needs to get on that podcast and create space for David to say what's on his mind. And, that's and like that, we need a new host for the narrative now. It's, uh, <laughs> but I'll say, Mike has been, just pray for us, Mike's been in rare form this week. Oh, man. Uh, on a lot of fronts. And uh, the the fact that he's made it to a fr- to, to, to Thursday is uh, <laughs> he's a sign of the good grace of us around CCB dealing with the shenanigans. So It's true. It's true. I, I can own that. I can own that. But before we jump off the, the topic of the podcast and, and where we are now versus where we started, we get tremendous feedback all the time from our listeners. And I just want to take a moment to encourage everybody, if you want to help us, one of the best things you can do, and, and this is a question we get sometimes, how can we support the podcast? Leave us a review. If you can go to wherever you find your podcast, especially Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, anything like that, just drop us a hopefully five-star review and, and leave some nice comments. It, with the way the digital world works, that helps the algorithm, that helps us be seen more and helps get us out there. And that, that would just be a tremendous blessing. Uh, if you would take a few minutes to do that for us, if you, if you're a fan of the podcast, we'd love that, that support from you. We, we also got to make sure we thank, uh, Vince Tornero from Westler media, uh, our, our producer, uh, and Grace Rose and, and Claire Dice here, um, who have done a lot of work, uh, booking the guests, uh, helping us stay on, on track and, and, and making a, a, as good of a podcast as we can. So, uh, yeah, grateful for him. Big day at the state house uh, yesterday for three CCV backed bills: the Parents' Bill of Rights, uh, Safe Act, and Save Women's Sports. And gentlemen, I'm going to turn the floor over to you because you were you were there. You saw what was going on. You were in the house as it was passing. There was some lengthy deliberation. I know I was. I had already completed a lengthy commute home, and <laughs> the vote still hadn't happened by the time I got there. So it was it was a big day over at the state house. Yeah, it was it was something to see. I think we finally got the vote around six o'clock. I was texting members on the floor and asking them to amend in some cushions for the seats up there in the peanut gallery. They're terrible, <laughs> terribly uncomfortable. But um, what a day, family. I mean, you all know you've been with us from the beginning, uh, working safe fag, working safe women's sports, all the shenanigans with um, you know, speakers races and and chairmen and, you know, hospital associations. To, to see with all in the midst of all of that this year that we would be sitting on the floor with not one, not two, but three uh, of our of our bills was just a, a blessing. And uh, it was surreal. Um, we, we Nalani and I were kind of the last two to walk out of the um, out of the room and, and uh, just talking to some of the members, um, hearing how excited they were for us, you know, like they. Uh, they were they were just as excited as we were, and um, and they knew that that we were there from the beginning. Just just what a way to honor God and God's people, um, you know. It, you know, you all answering the the alerts and, and making the phone calls and coming down praying with members, N- not just that prayer at the state house, but we've had some of you come down and and pray literally in the offices of the Rife, 
remember many of you when 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 uh, Rep Click was just getting it started with Safe Act. Um, we had many of the mama bears and one papa bear uh, actually come down uh, to the rife and, and lay hands on Rep Click. Um, and and looking back, uh, you could see how he really really needed it. You know, Jenna Powell, so many of those that um, you know Rep Stoltz was last uh, last GA uh, with us. It is so many to, to thank. Um, but but I would say you know in this recent run of uh, Safe Facts, Save Women Sports that got combined in committee. Uh, the committee was outstanding, um, and they were just as strong on the floor uh, last night. First and foremost, it, it's exactly that, that we're halfway through now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is a, a major hurdle we've gotten over, um, right? Now now we've got to, uh, you know, get it through the Senate. So, yeah, we, we just got out of the regular season. We're going to the playoffs now. Right, nobody gets trophies for 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 you know winning the regular season. You got to get through the playoffs, and you got to get win the championship. Get the governor to sign the bill, um, and and that's the, that's the focus for us um, going forward. Uh, especially, we we got to finish up this budgeting process in the state. Um, but this fall, it's going to be a major major push uh, to get the Senate to to do this. And and again, we we take nothing for granted, right? We've got a lot of amazing state senators in, uh, in Ohio. A lot of pro-family folks that understand these issues, but um, if if we think that the the pressure from the media uh, and from the children's hospitals and all of that was and the manipulation and the lies, and if we think all of that was was intense in the House, it's going to be that much worse um, in the Senate, um, which is going to require that much more prayer, that much more energy, uh, and that much more effort. Um, again, I do the the other thing that I. I I'll just say again, and this is, I want to be careful to act like this is the, the complete victory, but, but this was a, a major, major win. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit this morning um, in our prayer time as a, as a team. Um, I, I just woke up thinking about um, James 1, where it talks about count it all joy. Count, count it all as joy, brothers, when you experience uh, trials of all kinds, um, because you know that produces in you steadfastness. And I, I think about the, the journey we've been on with this bill. Um, with all these bills, right? Um, and the 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 struggle it's been, the disappointment, the 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 times David and I have just sort of looked at each other and said, oh, "What do we do now?" Right? Like we we just did a a, a crazy roadblock or, or the the tough decisions we've had to make. Um, that you know, I think about the end of last session where we basically just had to kind of walk away from a bill that um, we thought was a. Um, uh, not not serving, meeting, and helping kids' needs right, and so uh, you know the almost that, had that, to walk away from this bill, almost. right? And, and like two weeks ago, yeah, exactly. And that, but but I think about all of that to, to think through. You know, obviously the prayers that God does something big for all of kids in Ohio and in the nation by passing these bills. But I also think about how through that process God was working uh, in us at CCV, just in Aaron and David and Nalani and Mike and you know all, all the team here, um, like through that, uh, through all of those struggles with this bill and with this these these issues, God is pressing us to be more like him. He's using that, that those, if if these bills would have just flown through and passed real easily, how how easy would that have been to, to go to our heads, right? And think like, look how great and talented we are, right? And look how impressive we are that we just get these things done. Um, but it, it's been through this, this, this fight, this struggle that God is, is not just 
hopefully doing something through us for the state and through everyone that listens to this podcast and that's been involved in these bills, not just through you to, to do something bigger to help children, but also in you, in us, by making us more reliant through through these these struggles, through these 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 trials. Um, and, and that's something that I, I give glory to him that if life was easy, these victories wouldn't be so sweet. Right. That's right. Uh, you know, the, the verse, um, second Corinthians two fourteen. thanks be to God who always causes, uh, causes me to triumph in Christ. Um, when I was walking home or back over to the office, which feels like home now, unfortunately, um, I actually had a member stop in the middle of uh, Broad Street, honk his horn, and say congratulations. Um, not that the glory goes to us, but they are proud of the David and Goliath battle that was, you know, Safe Act, Save Women's Sports, Parental uh, Bill of Rights in the House. They are proud that, uh, that we came out on top and God gets the glory, um, right? It was the Center for Christian Virtue. Um, that was at the forefront of that. And it was Christians who came to the state house, Christians that called Christian businessmen and influencers within the party that they got in, in, engaged. Um, I, I will say this though, you know, we are the narrative. And, and one of the things that I love about the podcast and that many love about the podcast is that we do confront some of the prevailing narratives. I went home, Mike, and I turned on my little Roku or whatever for a minute <laughs> to see how the media covered the day. Now, I ran around Cap Square all day long, and there were no protesters on any of these three bills. There was a group of Amish out there, um, like full regalia. <laughs> that's that's what it's called. Literally, they were reading from the hymnals, and I mean, it sounded beautiful. There was a, a group that uh, were, were doing a rally, small, maybe 150 of them doing a rally, uh, some budget thing. And I almost took pictures and everything. But when I got home and I turned on the news, one particular channel, what they did was this was about, you know, the anti-trans bills. They showed a clip. Actually, the very caption was of the state house group on the steps. And then when they were talking about protesters, they showed the Amish people singing with the hymns and said, but the group that wasn't represented was the trans LGBT, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you serious? My wife and I were stunned. Like, like all these people that they just showed you were the protesters that came out to support these anti-trans bills uh, and bully. I mean, it was so, so bad. The reason why there were no protesters out there from the LGBT side was because the Democrat caucus literally told them don't show up. Right. They said it because it was because they didn't want it. You know, they, it was too dangerous for them. And uh, the reason was they didn't want to be embarrassed um, by the drums and the acting crazy that they normally do when they come to the state house. But we know this stuff, right? We know this goes on, but I think so many, when they look in the media, so many of our kids, the, right, the, our next generation, the the youth groups across the, are seeing us painted in this crazy light. That's the, that's the picture they're painting, right? They, they show yep. their big crowds from Pride March. They use B-roll from the Pride March to show all of this massive opposition. And then when they want to show, uh, you know, show, Christians, they'll they'll use you know some Mennonite family or somebody that, that just came down that was innocently, you know, walking through the state house. Oh, th th those are the, the the Christians that are down there. It honestly it, it reminded me of um, we we've had a few of these examples uh, out of the the Columbus Dispatch lately, um, where they again they're they're like manufacturing 
outrage to try to make Christians look bad. I, I remember I called, you know, there was the the story when the SAFE Act was in committee hearing uh, where, you know, hearing was proponent hearing ended and the chairman did something that they almost never do, which is say, hey, is there anybody else that would like anybody else that would like to share? And uh, and a guy, a, a pastor in the audience said, sure, I'd, I'd like to share. And he stands to stand up. We didn't know who he was. We didn't ask him to come down. We didn't obviously say, no, you can't come down. We can't do that. Uh, but he gets up and they start asking him about the bill. And he shares a, a view of, of transgenderism, transgenderism and starts talking about uh, sort of spiritual possession and those types of things. Um, not on message to the bill, right? That's that's not how we train people to go talk about it. We can absolutely talk about the spiritual side of these bills and we fully believe that, but that's not on message for the bill. Uh, probably not the, the thing you want to be talking about at the hearing. So what what's the headline though um, when the the hearing ends? Um, it's not all of the detransitioners nope. that showed Chloe up. Cole. How harmless was not the medical professionals that got up there and and showed how dangerous these procedures are. Not the even the evidence that yes, indeed they are doing surgeries in the state of Ohio, and yes, indeed these puberty blockers um, and hormones are not reversible. That was not the headline. The entire headline was that, hey, some guy stood up and said this is about demon possession. Um, and that because that that's the narrative they're trying to build. I'll, I'll just say this is a, 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 a something for me that I, I, I feel really passionate about today because I was I was one of the, those college students coming out of OU. You know, I, I had just you know, I've shared the story about how, you know, the, the Tom Henry's book, Why You Can't Stay Silent. Um, like changed changed my life. It got me really excited, and I was one of these these you know millennials out of out of college that was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get involved in Christian politics, and we message so badly, and we're gonna message better, and I'm gonna save the world and teach people how to talk about these things better. And the longer I've done this work now, by all means, am I, am I gonna say that Christians involved in this work always message well and always do everything right? Certainly not. But the the longer I get into it, it's it's like you know what? At the end of the day, when you have a, a corrupt media, a broken media that is so driven to uh, to to shape and and craft narratives based off of their political agenda, that that's a that's a prideful goal, right? That, that there's a spirit of pride in that when we're we we get this mindset of like, oh, these these are these Christians that are involved in this, they 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 don't know what they're doing. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you, most of most of the folks that do this work. They know really well what they're doing, and they're really mindful of how we should message best. But you just have a media that is totally bent on on manipulating uh, words and manipulating uh, facts. And so that doesn't mean we don't try to message better. That doesn't mean we're off the hook. Uh, but it does mean you know we should sort of check our spirit of pride before we sit back in judgment uh, of folks that are are engaged in this battle. That that's certainly been something for me over these almost seven years now. I've been leading at CCB that has that's changed in me that I, I just respect so much more those lawmakers that are both committed to the cause, um, and also really concerned about being effective, um, than, than, you know, folks that can, uh, you know, make a great presentation, right? If you're a hard worker, uh, and you might not message right, or you might get off, like, uh, that just means the world to me, because this is about, uh, protecting kids, doing what's right, proclaiming, you know, actually enacting righteousness, Right, right. Well, and as we close here, I think 
one common theme I'm hearing both of you talk about is that there there's a lot that goes into these issues behind the scenes that that we don't always see. And uh, Aaron, I know you had an opportunity this week to to really highlight the good work that David and the policy team do. And it was because of one of those kind of bogus, me- <laughs> not kind of, it was a totally bogus media attack, uh, <laughs> attempting to expose a policy organization for, you know, lobbying for policy, heaven forbid. Uh, and actually, uh, David David and Nalani and the work that they do came off uh, in a very positive light overall, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're on our email list, you, you got the email uh, from it. I, I love this one. It's there's this thing called the Ohio Capital Journal. Um, there, as think is a very good way to put that. Yeah, a thing. Yeah, right. It's a it's an organism. Um, you know, as newspapers have been laying people off, the you know all these liberal sort of foundations have started this thing called the state's newsroom, and then started these fake newspapers in states all over the country. Ohio's it's called the Ohio Capital Journal. I know Iowa has one. The Arizona one it's called the Arizona Mirror. And they're hiring up laid off employer uh, uh, journalists or they're snatching up journalists from newspapers that are downsizing um, and acting like they're a real news outlet. And so like legit, you know, typical sort of legacy media will start carrying their articles. The Plain Dealer runs their stuff all the time. You know, local stations will, too. Um, but they're they're like the Huffington Post, right? They're 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 a nonprofit. They get all of their money from these liberal foundations. Um, Arabella Fund, which is known to be funded, and Hopewell Fund, which are known to be funded by George Soros. Like, that's their thing. That's what the Ohio Capital Journal does. And they just love us. They love writing about us. They love talking about us. They love and they wrote this whole they wrote this whole story about, uh, you know, they did a public records request. Ooh, public records request. Uh, and got text messages and emails of how CCV's, this religious lobby, was uh, working with lawmakers to uh, to pass anti-trans bills. Which is hilarious that they they you know spent all this time on a public records request to get our text messages and emails to see basically what we're posting on social media every single day, like or talking about on here. It's like big secret. We're working with lawmakers to pass the Save Women's Sports Act. Breaking news, uh, and and so and but but for me, you know, as 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 the you know the guy that hired these these fools, like. I got to see their their text messages and emails, and I was like, "Wow, we really sound like we know what we're doing here." We literally at the state house. I'm walking around before I even read the article. Another lobbyist comes up and congratulates me because of that piece. <laughs> I'm like, "We look really good in this article because it's it's you know they're asking us, you know, state rep uh, Adam Holmes. They call him Brian Holmes, but whatever. The state rep Adam Holmes is like." texting with Nalani and saying, hey, I need like asking for evidence on, you know, the the impact of puberty blockers or something like that. And Nalani's like, absolutely. I'll get these resources over to you. It's like, yeah, this is this is how government should work. Right. You have lawmakers that are asking for information and lobbyists that are getting them information so that they can make their best decision. It's like, yeah, that, there you go. That's the, how government works. And that's what we do here. Uh, it's it just so one, it made me again grateful for David and Nalani. That's two episodes in this volume that I've complimented them. Uh, so that we'll just keep keep track of that one, Mike. Uh, well, but but two, uh, it just again like you know. So so we had to. They're obviously making money on this. We wanted to fundraise. So if you really want uh, to to send a message to the Capital Journal and and uh, and George Soros, send send a, a donation to CCB today. That's. 
recapping a bit busy and big week here around CCV, and, and we've got more coming up. We had the opportunity to talk with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley about his new book on fatherhood. It's a great interview. You don't want to miss it. Stick around for that coming up on The Narrative. Hey, Narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian Chamber of Commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. And welcome back to The Narrative. Thanks for sticking with us. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baer, David Mahan with you. And we are so grateful to have U.S. Senator Josh Hawley with us today to talk about his most recent book titled Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs. Josh Hawley graduated from Stanford University in 2002 and Yale Law School in 2006. He moved back to his home in mid-Missouri with his wife, Erin, where they started a family, and they're now the proud parents of three young children, Elijah, Blaze, and Abigail. He's been recognized as one of the nation's leading constitutional lawyers. He's litigated at the Supreme Court of the United States, the federal courts of appeals, and in state courts fighting for people's liberties. Josh formerly served as Missouri's attorney general and is now U.S. Senator for Missouri, since taking office, Senator Hawley has worked to protect religious freedom from powerful special interest groups, to keep big tech companies from abusing their power, and to prevent foreign interests from hurting American workers. Senator Hawley, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you today. It's great to have you on the narrative. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. So let me ask you this question. It's kind of the obvious one up front. We're, we're in an age where any politician who's writing a book wants to dish dirt on what's happening in Washington. They want to talk about their own political aspirations or that kind of thing. What prompted you to write about the need for masculine virtue in America? Well, I'm a father. And as you just said, I've got three little ones at home. My boys are 10 and eight. And really it was my boys. It was thinking about as, as they start to get older now, as they encounter the culture and as they encounter popular media, as they encounter the, the lies, frankly, of the left about manhood, it really started with me thinking about what's my role for them as a dad? What do I need to do to help them become the men that God meant them to be? So that's really how the book started. And it is full of stories from the Bible. It's full of some family stories, you know, men who are significant in my life, coaches, mentors, my grandfather. And uh, really, I, I hope that for my kids, that uh, the book will be a treasure trove of role models. But I hope that'll be true for all men and that, that every man can find something in there that will help them. So I'm I'm going through your book right now, Senator, and and loving every word of it. We we talk about these issues every day here, especially on the state level. Uh, but actually, my first question for you is that your former chief of staff, Eric Tietzel, I I just got to ask about him because he's in my fantasy football league. And I want to know did he manage your staff any better than he can manage the fantasy football team? It's been a disaster coming into the league. I tell you what, well. Um, I will say this in, in Eric's defense. I don't know how his fantasy football teams have performed recently, but Eric is a diehard Chiefs fan. And for that reason alone, I, I love him. And uh, it was he's he was a great chief and uh, was with us from the very beginning when we first uh, opened up the Senate office and, and now is over at the Heritage Foundation doing tremendous, tremendous work. 
I'll just say that's his biggest weakness is that you can offer him anything for Juju Smith-Schuster, whoever the third <laughs> wide receiver is on the Chiefs, and he'll he'll cut the deal. Anyway, uh, we were already off track here, but uh, I, I want to drill in more because this this question of what's going on with men, especially in in the first chapter of your book, you kind of break down the the bleak reality of what's happening with with men in America, um, and and this is the the thing we are we're always struggling with at CCV, which is what is the role? What can policymakers be doing today uh, to address this issue? Because a lot of it, I, I love that you you know even in the title of your book you say the the masculine virtues America needs. We have virtue in our name at CCV, and a lot of it is kind of implying that. Government can only go so far, and then we need a population that chooses to do what's right. So what what should government be doing right now to address the situation? Well, I think government can actually do a lot because government has done a lot already to make the situation dire. You know, so if you think about, let's just take the jobs issue, for example. For those of us who believe in the family, for those of us who believe that the two-parent household is the absolute gold standard that we hope all kids can have, right? And I just want to say as an aside right here, you know, my wife was raised by a single mom uh when their dad left them and and she did she was phenomenal right so obviously the lord's grace is available and there's single parents out there who are just phenomenal phenomenal but what we hope for all kids is they would have a mom and a dad and a two-parent home okay so how do we get more of those well we need jobs where men can provide for their family guys i'd love to see an economy in this country once again where a man can go out there, get a blue collar job and can provide for his family on that wage. You know, so then his family, he and his wife have a choice. They don't feel like both people have to work full time all the time just in order to make ends meet. You know, you actually put power back in the hands of parents and families to make choices for their kids and for their families. So what's government's role in that? Well, for one thing, we can stop doing stupid stuff like sending our jobs overseas. We have gutted in the last 30 years in this country, gutted blue-collar work, gutted, productive industry in this nation. And it doesn't hurt people who have white-collar jobs and people on Wall Street, they've done great. They're they're swimming in cash, you know, great for them. But for the middle of the country and the middle of our economy, for that blue-collar worker, guys, 70% of men, as I'm sure you know, 70% of men in this country do not go and get a four-year college degree. And as far as I'm concerned, that's great. They shouldn't have to if they don't want to, but they should be able to get a good job where they can get married and provide for a family. So that is something that government has a large role in, in terms of getting the economic incentives, because government has made it almost impossible to find blue collar jobs like that in the last 30 years. And we talk about marriage and government ought to be promoting in the tax code marriage rather than penalizing it. You know, instead of, of hitting people with a big tax burden when they get married, let's reward them and let's help them when they have kids by giving them a tax break. So I think there are common sense steps we can take here, but we've got to we've got to start by recognizing that a lot of what's happened in government the last 30, 40 years has been terrible for the family and terrible for work. I, I want to drill in on that a little bit more because I, one of the things that we get concerned here about CCV a lot of times is even in the in sort of the Christian political engagement world, we've sort of established this uh, separation of social and fiscal issues almost, right? Where there's there's social issues for for years, where we're very concerned, rightfully so, about things like abortion and transgenderism and and you know CRT in schools. But for some reason, when it comes to fiscal or economic issues, we've sort of I, I don't know said, well, that, that, that there can be disagreement there, or God doesn't have anything to say about this, or the Bible's silent on this. When I'm when I'm going through your book, I'm seeing a real moral case for hey Christians, we need to be concerned about jobs and the economy as well. Can you talk on that a little bit? 
Yeah, I would just say this. Economics is culture. And I think for those of us who consider ourselves social conservatives, cultural conservatives, you know, that 100% includes me, that, you know, that's great. But listen, if we're not willing to think about the economic consequences of that, if we're not willing to say, hold on, what does it take to form and maintain strong families? What does it take to form and maintain strong neighborhoods, including churches and synagogues? You know, I mean, what's it going to take to rebuild the fabric of community? You've got to have an economy that supports and rewards that. And what we've gotten now for decades, I'd say really going back to the 90s, is we've gotten policy out of D.C. that undermines working families, especially that undermines the local community, the local neighborhood, local churches, and it undermines them economically. You just can't send men's jobs. It's not only men, obviously. Women also work and do blue collar work for sure. But overwhelmingly, the jobs that have gone overseas to China, were at 4 million now and counting since the year 2000. 4 million. That is a massive number. Those jobs were overwhelmingly filled by blue collar men. So when you have that kind of displacement, and then you look at the crisis of opioid abuse all across working people, working areas of the country, my state of Missouri, really, really hard hit by it. When you look at the abuse of, of alcohol and, and other drugs, is it any wonder that it's happening in these communities, in these places, and among these men who now say, boy, I, I mean, I don't know if I can get a job that will give me any, any future. I don't know if I can really support a family. And so they feel devastated by that. Those things all sit together. And my message would be to, to fellow conservatives, especially Christians, like Christians, we have got to be out there advocating for an economy that is good for families and children. Yes, Senator. I, I uh, first of all, thank you for the book. I was intrigued to to, to see that you have, um, you know, the topic of manhood, but also that it's addressing public policy and politics and and how it's kind of viewed in that space. Um, but then you also, you know, just like you just alluded to, you know, you talk about the Word of God, and um, you know, from the perspective of somebody who's worked with kids for twenty some years, um, that is my heart. Even even here at CCV, we do a lot with with policies that that deal with children and youth. Um, this is so much bigger than just a left-right issue, as I, as, I, as I'm sure you know. Um, the church has gotten this wrong, right? I mean, it, you know, the, it's been said that it's it's better to raise a child, to build a child, than to have to rebuild an adult, you know, a broken adult. Um, and uh, and I think I think the media has a big part to play in that. You know, we're from from children, from babies, we're looking for role models and things like that. The scripture says um, in in Psalm 45, one generation shall praise or commend the mighty works to the next. Um, this is innate in all of us. Um, what What is your admonishment to the to the body of Christ? Um, what is our role, um, you know, in the, in raising up the next generation of men? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that, and I agree with you 100%. Here's what I would say to, to the church. Um, listen, the, the America's men need you. They need the church to provide that vision of destiny. They need the church to provide the word of God to men, which is that your life matters. God has called you for a purpose. He has called you to be a man of destiny for your family, for your neighborhood, for your community, and yeah, for your nation. And if you want to change this nation, and I mean that in the broadest sense, I don't just mean elect this party or that party or pass this law. If you want to change this nation to be all that it could be, it's going to begin and end with the character of the men and women, the fathers and husbands, uh, uh, the, 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 the wives and, and uh, mothers of this country. So I would just say for the men, for the church, it is vital, I think, that the church preach to men, that they give them a vision of what God has called them to, that they look to raise up men 
And especially now when the culture is telling men that just to be a man is to be toxic, that either you are totally toxic or you renounce your manhood in some fashion. Like those are the options that the culture gives to men. You know, I also think guys that the other option the culture gives to men is just be a consumer, you know, just make it, make your, your aspirations in life to consume a bunch of stuff, make yourself happy, sit in front of a screen, order some stuff and otherwise do nothing with your life. We've got as believers, we've got to say, no way, no way. God has a much higher destiny for you. And that is involves taking on responsibility. That involves sacrificing your personal interests. That involves pouring your life into other people. That's what it means to be a man. I think the church has got to present that compelling, powerful vision. It's so refreshing to hear you say that. I mean, it, you know, the media, and again, I've you know, very few people talk about the media uh, more than I do, especially when it comes to youth culture. But but so much of what we learn about who to be uh, how, or how to be men is is even as babies. I mean, the, the the most we learn about life is is as children. We learn how to eat. We learn how to walk. We learn how to talk way before we're watching music videos, way before, you know, we're watching Fox or CNN. And 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 we do. Young men will come into the next generation, the mighty works that they see other men in our lives do. My father, his mighty works was was in a Mercedes Benz. I would tell all the kids in my school that my dad drove a Benz and I got to shift the gear shifter on the freeway. You know, um, my dad, his mighty works was women. Um, you know, everywhere I went with my father, uh, there was there was women everywhere. Uh, he could sing. He was a performer. And, and so it wasn't about politics for me. It wasn't about whether he was a, even a good father. It was just, this was my hero. And, and even though he did my mom wrong and, and me wrong, I still commended his mighty works to all the generations around me. And I think the body of Christ has to take, a, uh, has to take their responsibility before culture gets in, right? We've got to take the responsibility for what is actually getting into the next generation because that is what they are commending to the, to their next generation. Totally. And l- let me just build on that and make two points. One to fathers and one to, to to older men in the church. You know, to fathers, I would just say to your point about before culture gets in, I mean, this is why dads, you know, part of what your, your maybe your primary role as a father of the household is to protect and nurture your kids. That's right. And, you know, you got to think about, do you want to raise your kids or do you want to have big tech or the big corporations raise your kids? Because they want to raise them. You know, they, they want to get them on the screen. They want to sell them stuff. They want to tell them what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman for your daughters. They, they, they want to push their message in order to make money, let's be honest. So is that what you want for your kids? Or do you want to be able to be the ones who say, no, no, this is your destiny as a man. Fathers give identity. You know, I mean, that's something a father does is that he gives identity to his children by investing in them, by pouring into them, by teaching them. So I think fathers, you want to leave a legacy have kids invest in them, bring them up in the fear of the Lord, teach them who they are called to be. I mean, that's a real strong call for fathers out there. And then to the church for older men, we are so in need of men who, who are a little bit further down the path of life who will go to the younger men and pour into their lives. You know, one of the things I write about in the book are men who mentored me, coaches, pastors. We need those guys. I mean, I think we've got this idea sometimes in our culture that, oh, once I hit 65, you know, then uh, I, I'm I'm done, I'm checked out, I'm retired, uh, that's it. You know, boy, in the church, that cannot be true. We have got to have those guys who have all this life experience turn around and say, how can I pour into these younger guys? How can I communicate my wisdom and, and praise the mighty deeds of the Lord? You know, how can I proclaim that to the younger generation so they'll see it? And I think men, if men will do that and step in those up in those ways, fathers, mentors, we'll see a real change. 
I, I want to uh, run down one path you just opened up there real quick. You know, uh, this week, Lord willing, we'll be passing the bill out of the Ohio House to ban uh, trans medicine on kids. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that came out time and time in committee, and I know it's come out in Washington when you guys have had some of these folks up there, that this is all experimentation on kids. They've got no data really to back up what they're doing. Um, and, and you talked about how big tech uh, is trying to raise our kids right now. And it kind of connects this book to your 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 other book, your first book. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the the real intentional efforts by big tech, by social media companies uh, to target kids uh, and and really, you know, get in between a child and their parents and, and really the protection around them? Sure. I mean, big tech's whole model, their money-making model is based on getting our attention, keeping it for as long as they can, and then selling us stuff. And they start as early as they possibly can. You know, and they track us all around the web. They track our kids all around the web. They build a profile and they figure out what is it that interests us. And they can do this individually. You know, what is it that interests you? What do you click on? What do you pause on? What, what sites do you go to? And then they try to push that stuff towards you with their algorithm, get your attention and, and sell you things. Here's the problem with kids. Social media now has not just an agenda of, of pushing uh, ads and making money, but now ideologically there's this agenda of trying to push the idea that there is no such thing as male and female. We've seen the huge explosion of uh, the trans, radical trans movement all geared around or centered around, pushed by social media. And you can look at when instances of gender dysphoria really skyrocketed in this country a little over a decade ago. It is right around the time that social media on on the smartphones really exploded. And there's just gobs of data on this now. I mean, we know that the more Instagram, to pick one, the more Instagram exposure for younger kids, the worse their mental health, right? So whether we're talking about mental health, whether we're talking about gender issues, whether we're talking about their relationships with their parents and peers, the more social media, in almost every case, the worse it gets. So I just think as parents and as dads, we've got to be alive to that. And listen, it's hard. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, my 10-year-old boy, none of my kids have phones. They don't have tablets, nothing. And yet, my 10-year-old probably knows more about my phone than I do. And he doesn't even have a phone, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, how does this happen? So for the parents out there, this is why, to go back to your question earlier about public policy, this is why we do need to do things like Put age limits on social media so that you can put power in the hands of parents. You know, parents need help here. But, you know, dads, I just say to you again, boy, this is, you've got to be on this. And one of the best things you can do for your kids is protect them from these from these uh, outside inputs, these outside influences like social media that want to totally control them and raise them instead of you. Senator, you've really presented this fascinating case of, of the policy side of this and writing a book about the need and, and the virtue of manhood in this current cultural moment and then using the the Bible to back it up, I imagine, only has your popularity skyrocketing uh, with, with a lot of those forces we see trying to tear down men. I'm curious from, from that scriptural side, as you approach this book and as you looked into what the Bible has to say about manhood, did it change your perspective any, or was there one particular example uh, in the Bible that really stood out to you that kind of helped form this thesis for you? Well, it, it did change my perspective, and I think that's why I go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, and here's the reason I do it. No, number one, I mean, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and so for me, the Scripture is my anchor. So that's where I that's where I try to start everything of any significance I do in my life. But also, number two, if you're going to talk about something like manhood, and you're going to say, well, you know, here's what a man is, you've got to be able to answer the question, 
why would that be true? Says who, right? Especially in this day and age where we have so many competing voices, the dominant one saying men are toxic, men are evil, masculinity is, is, is always a vice, not a virtue. So how do you counter that? And for me, it was going back to the scripture's vision of men. And if you go all the way back to Genesis, you see that God, when he creates man and woman, gives them authority together, but he gives them each specific tasks. And to the man, he says, your job is to keep this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, and to cultivate it. And when you really dig into that, into that imagery, what you find is what God is saying to men is your job is to take this garden that God made and expand it into the world. Your job is to go out there and to confront dark things of the world and subdue them, to confront chaos and to bring order, to confront evil and to bring light. And I think there is a a pattern there that God means for all men. And I was really, when I, when I studied that and got into it, I was so struck by it. I just thought, I got to make this the backbone of the book. This is a vision for all men for all time. And of course, as Christians, we know that it is ultimately fulfilled uh, in, in the person of Jesus. I mean, Jesus Christ is the man, capital M. But that vision is there for all men. I love that work purpose, right? Give these kids something to do because that's what God did for us. He gave us something to do. Um, at one time, Senator, I was, uh, one of my mentors um, asked me how my family was doing. And I said, you know, my little boy is great. And she said, don't ever call him a little boy. You know, he's, he's the father, the future father of your grandchildren. And, uh, and so from when they were very young, you know, we wanted to give all of them something to do, something, you know, to, to work towards um, and, uh, and so as a father, what are some of the things that you do around the house to, um, empower your kids? Uh, right. Because it, it, we can't wait until they're 12, 13, 14 to start talking about manhood, right? We have to, we have to practice makes permanent, right? We got to get them working early on these things so that they can, uh, so that they can emulate and be what, what we want them to, to turn into. Well, that is a great question. I'm, I'm a big believer in giving them tasks, giving my boys who are 10 and 8 now, my little guys, giving them tasks to do uh, where they feel like they're contributing toward the family. And I try to explain it to them as, hey, this is part of what a man does. So it starts with their rooms, you know. Hey, I'm a responsible man. He doesn't leave a mess for other people. So I, we talk about, are you going to leave that mess for mama? You think mama's going to come in here and, and, and clean up after you? And that's not her job. You know, that's your job. That's how you contribute. And then we talk about, you do that because that's just you keeping your room clean. That's basic. Then what are you going to contribute to the family? Well, you're going to help clean up after dinner. You know, you're going to sweep up. We've got a little, a little girl at home. She's two. And so there's a lot of opportunities to help with little sister. And we say, well, little sister needs help doing this. You know, you can help pick up little sister's room. And sometimes the boys will say, well, that's not my job, you know, and I picked up my room and we say, Hey, you know, this is a chance to help the family where you can be a contributor. And then I try to praise them and say, you know, hey, boys, thank you for contributing to the family. Thank you for helping dad. Thank you for helping mom. That's great. Uh, so it's little things like that, you know, and and listen, I just, for all the dads out there, I don't do, I am far from perfect, you know, and I just want to say to dads, because I think a lot of times we as dads think, oh man, we mess up stuff. Uh, you know, one of the reasons some dads I think are afraid to try is they think, oh, I'm going to mess it up. Yeah, you are going to mess it up. I mess stuff up all the time, but you know what? If you will make the effort, the Lord will bless it. That's what I find. Just making the effort, however imperfectly, the Lord can work with that. And that's kind of, I've taken that as the theme of my life as a father. That is awesome. If, if I could offer just a little encouragement, we had Father's Day just recently, Senator, and um, the best gift I ever got was we were all sitting on the porch. Um, they made dinner, you know, my son grilled. 
Um, and, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of gifts, you know, usually get the gray shirt or whatever, you know, I got so many gray shirts, I don't know what to do. Um, but they all started praying for me. And one of the things in the prayer that came out from my son was talking about just how I treated his mother, things like that. And I told you, my dad was crazy. He was out there doing all kind of crazy stuff, loving a million women. And I, I said, when I, my kid was young, I taught him to love his mother. That's the first woman you ever going to, you know, go on a date with. Um, don't ever disrespect your mother. But I wanted it, I wanted him to see his father not loving a million women, but loving one woman a million ways. And when he prayed for me the other day, that's kind of what came out in his prayer. You know, the relationship that we had. And and uh, and so thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, I, I've been taking notes. Um, my, my babies are, are 20 and older, but I, I know there's some really good stuff in there for our fathers that uh, listen to the narrative. Oh, well, thank you. And that's awesome. And, and just I, I want to build real quick on your, your comment about your wife, because I just think that that's as a dad modeling that for our kids, how we treat our wives is how our sons are going to treat women in general and then their wives one day. And so, you know, I, this is in, in my house, what I try to do is sometimes I'll ask my boys because it keeps me honest, this question. I say, wait a minute, why are you talking to your mama that way? Do you hear me talking to your mama that way? You know, and it's a good one for me, right? It's a good, because it makes me think, oh, I got to watch it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's if, right. if I disrespect her, they're going to say, yeah, dad, I hear you talking to her all the time that way, you know, that we don't want that. So I, I just, there again, I hope my boys will be able to grow up and say, have we learned to love the Lord? That's my number one thing. I want them to love the Lord with all their hearts, all their strength, all their minds. We learned to, to, to love our mom and dad. We learned how to respect and, and treat a woman with the respect and dignity and honor she deserves, and then to want to be fathers when they grow up. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, when, when we went to go hire David Mahan, we thought we were getting the younger model, but the older one showed up, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that's all right. Uh, I, I, so, Senator Holly, this is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an obtuse question, but it is, it's the one that we always come back to when we're talking about these things is that so many of the things you're talking about in here seem like common sense. And I think for most Americans, they, they are common sense. Um, but the left just gets deeply offended. I, you, you had your... Uh, you talk about in here the the uh, YouTube famous interaction you had with the one uh, college professor uh, that uh, would not say the word woman, right? Actually, we have the, they're trying to put abortion uh, in the state constitution here, and in their press conference announcing their language, they would not say the word woman. It was four uh, four female doctors talking, but would just say pregnant person again and again, or person with the capacity to get pregnant or something like that. Uh, how, let, let me ask this, because I, I want to drill into this a, a lot, because this gets to the some of the political issues we have and social issues we're going to have with actually resolving this. How do we work with the left through this? How do you, how do you bring the left around or, or or address this when when they can't we can't even agree on what is the the good today? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that when it comes to this issue of of men and women gender, the, there are there's the radical left and then there's everybody else. And I think the radical left, that's who you hear out here saying things like people with birthing capacity who won't use the word women. Most people, and that includes folks who would identify themselves as Democrats, as liberals, they don't agree with that. You know, I mean, most people, heck, I mean, take take the feminist movement. Most feminists, they, they, they believe in women. I mean, they believe their whole issue is that women ought to be ought to be honored. Women ought to be lifted up. Women ought to be treated equally. They don't believe that women can can just be erased. But that's what the radical leftists and these cultural Marxists, in my view, that's what they want to do. 
So I think there is a, a, a room now to make common cause with all kinds of folks to say, hey, let's do some basic stuff like protecting the rights of women as women. Let's get rid of this idea. Let's challenge this idea that the left is pushing, the radical left, that a man can just decide tomorrow he wants to be a woman and then he's just as good a woman, just as truly a woman as anybody else. That's just ridiculous. And it is incredibly, incredibly destructive to women. Here's the other point I often make to parents, or frankly, they make to me, which is that in this whole transgender sports movement, you notice that the only people who really are asked to bear any burden and who get hurt by it are young women. You know, because when the transgender, when the biological men come into women's sports, they take it over, they change the character, they dominate it. When the biological men get into women's locker rooms, that's a safety risk to the women. So in this whole equation, it's the women who then are suddenly have the burden, are suddenly disfavored, are suddenly uh, subjected to harm. So I think there's a lot of room there to talk about those things honestly. And I'll just tell you in my state, this is not a political issue. It's not a left-right issue. It is a parents' issue, where parents of whatever their political persuasion say, please protect my kids. You know, we may disagree on this, that, or the other, but I want my kids protected. Protect my girls. Protect my boys. Protect them from this ideology. And I think there's a lot of room there to uh, to build a, a non-traditional political coalition. Yeah, and, and I, I want to want to drill in that a little bit more because I think even beyond the the this is applying beyond the trans issue. We're seeing this, whether you mentioned in here, uh, drug use, right? Yeah. Um, basically everything that is, and you know, we're in this inner city of Columbus right now, everything that uh, is sort of driving uh, America, especially our cities into a deeper and deeper pit, the left is on the, the, the side, their, their solution to address it is the things that make it worse, right? right? Like we, we, we're having rising crime, well, we need less police, right? We, we're having more overdoses. Well, we need to legalize drug possession. Um, you know, we're, we're having all this, you know, uh, we have the, the Me Too movement. Well, we need more pornography and more sex work, as they would call it. Um, you know, I, I, is there, are you seeing any place in the country right now? And, and this is an issue that, that hits close to home for David and I, because we both, uh, well, David used to live in the city, then he moved out. I still do. You know, he, he ran, ran off. Uh, but for, for America's cities right now, are you seeing any hope for, for turning these things around? Um, or is it just going to be some things are going to have to come crashing down before uh, uh, we start getting some of our cities on the right track? Well, I think I think it, it, you can go city by city. I think you see some cities that are turning around where voters are saying that we've just had enough. You know, And, and again, however they identify politically, you got people who are registered Democrats and, of course, a lot of registered independents who are saying... We can't take anymore. You know, we don't want our kids to get shot when they go and wait for the bus. We don't want them to get uh, attacked by gangs when they walk over to uh, the local 7-Eleven and, you know, try to buy a soda. I mean, so I think we are at a breaking point in many, many places. And culturally, I think we are at a real turning point around the issue of our kids, of, of their education, of their safety, of the parents' ability to, to be part of their kids' lives, or are they going to be Taken basically, are the kids going to be separated from their parents effectively in school, where you've got administrators saying, "No, you need to transition or you need to go on this drug," and parents aren't even told about it. That kind of thing, in my state at least, just sends parents through the roof, as it should. No matter party, again, not it's not political. So I I do think that we've got uh, a real opportunity here to turn the corner on some of these crazy policies. But guys, it's you know it you know this it's a big time fight because. The people who have the commanding heights of our culture, you know, the popular media, Hollywood, 
um, even some segments of the sports industry, certainly the big multinational corporations. These people are fully bought in in one way or another to this radical left agenda. And so they are just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And uh, I, I think you, you see that that defines a lot of the struggle right now in our culture. That's great. Well, uh, you've been incredibly gracious with your time and we've not talked at all about anything in the Washington. We, we don't really want to even go down that. The only question we have for you is what's the what's the scoop? How's he doing? How's Ohio's new freshman senator, J.D. Vance, doing uh, in Washington right now? Oh, he's doing tremendous. J.D. is just doing tremendous. I'm so glad to have him in the Senate. I, uh, you know, I, I went out and campaigned for J.D. and I said it was it was uh, 90 percent for the good of the country, but 10 percent selfish for for me because uh, I just I, I love J.D. He's a personal friend and I really want to have a buddy in the Senate and somebody who's just who, who will not be. What I love about J.D. is when he takes a position, he takes a position like that's it. You're not going to sway him. You're not going to twist his arm. He's going to do it. And he loves, loves the state of Ohio, the people of Ohio. And, and he just, you know, he, he's not going to be pushed off of that. So I think he's doing tremendous. It's a pleasure to serve with him. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative. <laughs>